We're in the third week of our Family Circus series. The first week, I ask you the question, who is the ringmaster of your three-ring circus? And when we talked about the family being a three-ring circus, we talked about dad over here in one ring doing his thing, mom in another ring doing her thing, the kids over here in another ring doing their thing, a three-ring circus. And we ask, who is the ringmaster? Who is the Lord of your family? Who is the one that's bringing order to the chaos in your home? And then last week, I talked to you about some family essentials. And we focused more on parenting. Today, my message is entitled, Twisted. Now, I don't mean that the sermon is twisted or the title is twisted. That, that is the title, Twisted. Because when you go to a circus, one of the circus acts that a lot of times you will see is you will see these men and women who are so flexible that they can contort their bodies into all different kinds of position. And when we look at that, sometimes we walk away saying, man, that was twisted because they were twisted. Well, I want to talk to you today about the subject twisted because I think that culture in America, that culture has gotten a bit twisted, especially when it comes to the family, and especially when it comes to marriage, when it comes to sex, anything to do with relationships, culture is trying to twist that. And, and the reason why I'm going to talk about this this morning is because culture is finding its way into the church. Did you know that the divorce rate is really not any different in the world than it is in the church? It's about the same. And, and so what's going on in culture is affecting what's going on in the church. And I don't just mean in the building where the church meets. I'm talking about in the lives of the people who actually make up the church. Now, in the book of Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, of course, is writing to a church in Corinth. Corinth is now modern-day Greece. And Paul was dealing with some of the same issues that we're dealing with in our culture today. Because in Corinth, they were morally corrupt. And I believe that America is morally corrupt. In Corinth, they were financially prosperous, and I believe that here in America, we are financially prosperous. In, in Corinth, not only were they financially prosperous and morally corrupt, but they were being affected. The church was being affected by the culture, and the culture was working its way into the church in Corinth. And so Paul had to begin to deal with that very issue, the very issue that I'm going to talk to you about today. And here's what Paul basically laid out before these people in Corinth, and as we're going to see even later in Rome, is that you have a choice to make. Every one of us in this room today, we have a choice. We will either choose God's way or we'll choose our way. We will either choose the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of our culture or we will fall back on the words and the wisdom of God. But it's up to us to choose 
You remember when God spoke to the nation of Israel and he said to them, I've put before you today life and death, but it's up to you to choose. And then he said, just in case you're struggling with which one's best, he says, choose life. Choose what leads to life. And so here's where Paul begins in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And may I tell you that the culture of America today, apart from God, that culture in America today looks at the gospel message and sees it as foolish. The gospel message that God would love the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The message of the cross, that at the cross Jesus paid the price for our redemption. For you to be forgiven of your sins, for me to be forgiven of my sins so that we could be reconciled to God, cultured this world When they hear that message, it sounds like foolishness to them. And the reason why it sounds foolish to them is because it's so simple. You mean all I have to do is believe that? That's it. All you have to do is believe it sincerely in your heart and confess it with your mouth and you will be saved. But the message of the gospel, Paul said, or the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In other words, the gospel message is not foolishness to those of us who are being saved, but the gospel message, when we receive it by faith, is what gives us the power to be the person that God has called us to be, to have the kind of marriage that God has called us to have, to have the kind of family that God has called us to have, and to live the kind of life that God has called us to live. To the world, that message may be foolishness. To culture, that message may be foolishness. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Somebody say amen to that. And then he goes on and he says, for it is written, God said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. One of the other things about the culture of Corinth is that Corinth was intellectually arrogant. They thought they were wiser than God. And they thought that their ways were better than God's ways. Does that sound anything like the culture that you and I are living in? This culture that believes that they're wiser than God. This culture that believes that they're smarter than God. This culture that believes that their way is better than God's way. And here's what God said. God said, I'm going to destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And do you know how God destroys the wisdom of the wise? By allowing them to find out their wisdom don't work. And by allowing them to realize that their intelligence that they thought was going to work, that intelligence that they had that thought was wiser than God and that was better than God's way, God's going to frustrate the intelligence of the intelligent because they're going to find out their intelligence doesn't work. The Bible says there is a way that seems right unto man, but it ends in destruction. And God said, I won't even have to do anything other than let them follow their own ways. And when they follow their own ways, they're going to find out their wisdom doesn't work. And they're going to find out their lack of intelligence. And they'll be back. They'll be back. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, where is the wise man? (laughs) 
Because see, after you've run that course, after you've tried it, you've discovered you were not so wise after all. So he says, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made the foolish or made foolish the wisdom of this world? And then notice in verse 25, he said, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Now, let me tell you what this is not saying. It's not saying that God in some way is foolish. And it's not saying that God in some way lacks wisdom. That's not what this scripture is saying. But what our culture is going to discover, this culture that thought they were wiser than God, they're going to think, they're, they're going to discover that what they thought was foolishness is now wiser than their wise. And what they're going to discover is what they thought was weak is stronger than what they thought was strong. See, that's just the way that God works. So we have a choice. We either choose our way or we choose God's way. We do it the way culture tells us to do it or we do it the way that God tells us to do it in his word. Now, I'm going to read a passage of scripture to you here in just a few minutes. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you right now, this scripture is not politically correct. But I've already told you at the very front end of this message, I don't give a flip about what's politically correct. You see, I'm not here... And, and please take this with the spirit that I, that, that I say it. I'm not here to make people happy. I'm here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm here to preach and to teach the truth of God's word. And we've got to get to the place, church, to where we preach the truth regardless of who it offends. Amen. Is anybody else here with me this morning? I'm not trying to be mean. But this passage of scripture that I'm going to read to you, in some places in this world, that if you get up and read this passage of scripture, you will be arrested. In some places in this world, if you get up and read this passage of scripture, not only will you be arrested, but, but, but your life could be endangered. You could lose your life if you get up and just read these words publicly because they are considered hate crimes. Now, that's not gotten to America yet, but hang on because it's fastly approaching. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 22. He said, claiming to be wise, talking about this culture, world without God, a world that seems to be wise or thinks they're smarter than God. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Why? Because they realized their wisdom didn't work. That they were really the dumb ones. That they were really the ones that lacked the intelligence, not God. And then notice what it says. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles because that's where man's wisdom leads. That's where man's way leads. It leads them away from God to idolatry. And, and, and then notice what he says, so God abandoned them. Now that doesn't mean, because the Bible says that God will never leave us and he will never forsake us. So it doesn't mean that God withdrew necessarily his presence from them. It just simply means that God said, okay, if that's the way you want it, you got it. And God removes his restraint from their lives and allows them to suffer the consequences of their bad choices. Hoping that those consequences will lead them back to him. And so here's what he said. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their heart desired. 
As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. Does that sound like our culture in any shape, form, or fashion? Exchanging. It's not that they didn't know what God's truth was. They knew what God's truth was, but they chose a lie instead. They exchanged it for a lie. And then he goes on and he says, So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Let the church say, Amen. Now, notice where man's wisdom leads. Away from God, not any longer serving and worshipping the Creator of it all, but worshipping the created things, the things that the Creator made. That just doesn't make sense to me. It seems that you would want to worship the one who made it all and not the stuff that was made. And, and, and then he goes on and he says this, That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this, what? Sin. They suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, notice what God did. He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Now let me just say something right here. Because a lot of people will say that God does this because God's mad. That the reason there's 9-11, the reason that there are catastrophes in our world is because of the anger of God and it's God's wrath being poured out. Let me tell you something this morning. I don't think God's mad at anybody. I really don't. I believe that the wrath of God was poured out on the cross when Jesus gave his life on the cross. I believe that's where God's wrath was poured out and that God's not mad at anybody right now, but God will not impose himself on your choices. God has given us free will. God allows us to choose life or to choose death, but when we choose the wrong, we will suffer the consequences. It's not that God is punishing us. We're punishing ourselves. And then he goes on. He said their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip. This is what man's wisdom leads to. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning. They disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway yet they and they also encourage others to do them as well this is the culture that you and I are living in right now and listen to me if we're not careful it's infiltrating into the church what is it that has caused our culture in America to become this way well, I think there's a few things. Before I really get to the heart of my message this morning, let me give you these few things that I think has twisted our culture. The first thing is this, and that is we gave up on God's wisdom and we've settled for the world's ways. 
In other words, here's what we've done. We've said, well, the world's wisdom is, is greater than God's wisdom. The world is smarter than God. And so we need to be listening to what culture says. We, we need to be listening to what the world says. Let, let me just tell you something about God. God's ways, God's character never changes. He said, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is an immutable God. He never changes. And let me tell you something else about God. His word never changes. He said, my word forever has been settled in the heavens. But we have a culture now that is turning away from God's ways and leaning on the wisdom, the understanding of the world. Notice what the scripture tells us here in Romans chapter 12 verse 2. The message paraphrase. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Now we know it better as don't be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But I love the way the message paraphrase says it. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, keep your attention on God and God will change you from the inside out. And so the question is this, the question is will we change the standard or we let or will we let God change us because the standard is the same the standard is the word of God the standard is the truth of God's word if I want to know what's right, if I want to know what's wrong, I go to the Word of God. And if the Word of God says it's right, it's right. If the Word of God says it's wrong, it's wrong. If the Word of God says it's truth, it's truth. If the Word of God says it's a lie, it's a lie. If the Word of God says it's sin, it's sin. If it doesn't, then it isn't. But listen to me this morning. We have got to repent of turning away from the ways of God and embracing the wisdom of the world because, listen, it's not the standard that's going to change. God is not going to stand, change the standard. God's not going to change His Word. What's got to change is us. I know this is not going to be a popular message to a lot of folks today. But here's a second way that the culture has become twisted and that is that we followed our feelings instead of our faith somewhere along the way we believe this lie that you can trust your feelings you can't trust your feelings if I lived by my feelings I'd be in debt I'd be dead right I'd be depressed I'd be incarcerated if I lived by my feelings you can't trust your feelings your feelings will lie to you. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Not everything that you feel is real. And not everything that's real do you feel. There are many days I get up, I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like getting into the Word. There's sometimes on Sunday, you're not going to believe this. Sometimes on Sunday morning, I don't feel like getting up and coming to church and preaching. So if I went by my feelings sometimes, there wouldn't be anybody up here on this stage to give you words of life. You can't live by your feelings 
But that's what's happening in this culture. We're following our feelings instead of our faith. And so the question really is this. Are we going to agree with what the Bible has to say about sin? Or are we going to trust our feelings to be our guide? Because listen to what the scripture says in Romans 8 and 6. Letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Your flesh may not always want to follow suit. That's why you can't be led by your flesh. You've got to be led by the Spirit because the Spirit of God will always guide, will always lead you to do the right thing, will always lead you into truth. And then here's a third thing that we've done that's caused our culture to become so twisted, and that is we've trusted ourselves more than we've trusted God. And really it boils down to that one thing right there. Is that we have... Stopped trusting God. But because we don't think that God can. We've lost faith in God. And we've listened to our culture that says that God is old-fashioned and God is archaic and God is irrelevant and you sure can't trust His Word because it's the same, it's old, it's archaic, it's got errors, it contradicts itself. You know all of the arguments about the Word of God. And so people have stopped trusting God and people have stopped trusting in the Word of God and began to trust in themselves. And we just saw a couple of scriptures about what happens when we do that. But the real question is this, and that is, are we going to trust culture's new norm or are we going to trust God? Because remember what wisdom says. Wisdom says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. You see, when you trust in the Lord with all your heart, when you trust in the Lord, when you lean completely into him you know what he's going to do he's going to make your life right he's going to make your life straight he's going to make your marriage right he's going to make your marriage straight he's going to make your family right he's going to make your family straight but only when you trust in him and so this is why our culture has become so twisted but you and I we've got to make a decision here this morning if we haven't already And it's the same thing that Joshua put before the nation of Israel. Choose you this day who you're going to serve. But he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Somebody was telling me that there's this program on TV called Modern Family. I'm not going to ask you if you watch it or not. Because everything on this show, from what I hear, is contrary to what Scripture teaches. And modern family is a picture of what's going on in our culture as it relates to marriage, as it relates to family, as it relates to sex, and anything to do with relationships. But I want to talk to you about something the complete opposite of modern family today. I want to talk to you about ancient family. And see if we can't somehow untwist This new norm that culture is trying to impose on marriage. How many of you in this room here today are married? Let me see your hand. If there's an area where our culture is attacking fiercely, it's against marriage. And I chose this title here at the point in the sermon 
because of this passage of Scripture in Jeremiah 6, verse 16, that says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads. And folks, that's where we are this morning. We're at a crossroads. We're going to choose either God's way that I'm preaching to you this morning, or you're going to choose man's way and man's wisdom and what culture has to say. So we, we are at this crossroads, and he said, when you get to this crossroads, look, ask for the ancient paths. Do you know what we need to do? We need to begin to reflect back to some of the values of our grandparents and our great-grandparents and our great-great-grandparents. We need to look back to the values of God's Word. Because he said, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths. And he says that when we discover what the ancient paths are, he said, ask where the good way is and do what? Walk in it. And what will you do? You will find rest for your souls. When will you find rest for your souls? When you take the way of God. When you take the way of God's wisdom. And so this morning, I want to give you a few culture-busting principles that I believe is going to help your marriage today. And the first of those culture-busting principles is this, and that is hurry home. Now, let me tell you what that means and how that can be culture-busting. Hurry home just simply means make your marriage a priority. You know, when God brought Adam and Eve together, the first couple that was married, we get there the image and the picture of what God intended marriage to be. He said, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But notice the first thing that he said, he said, a man shall leave his father and his mother. Up until that time, the most important relationship in our life is our relationship with our parents. But listen to me, when you get married, I'm sorry to say this, and we've discovered it ourselves, but mom and daddy, you ain't the most important person in your kids' lives anymore. Their spouse is now the most important person in their life. It is the most important relationship they have other than their relationship with God. And so if you are here this morning and you are married, your marriage next to your relationship with God needs to be your highest priority. Now it's one thing to say that, but it's another thing to practice that. Because once you say that our marriage is our number one priority next to God, then you're going to have to fight to keep your marriage the most important thing and the most important relationship on this earth. Why? Because kids come along and they're going to want your time. And then you get a mortgage. Now you got to work 40, 60, 80 hours a week to make sure that you can pay for everything you have. And before you know it, all of a sudden your marriage is not the number one priority. The kids have bumped up ahead of your marriage. The job has bumped up ahead of your marriage and your marriage is suffering as a result of it. You need to hurry home and prioritize time with your spouse and with your family. I need somebody to help me here this morning. I think I'm preaching good, but I'm not sure. Isaiah chapter 53 and 6 says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to its own way. I pointed it out to you the first week that in most homes in America today, you got dad in one room doing his thing. You got mom in another room doing her thing. You got the kids in another room doing their thing. And even though they may all be under the same roof, they're still not together. 
The family needs to learn how to come together. You need to hurry home and prioritize time with your spouse and with your family. 1 Corinthians 13 and 5 says this, love does not demand its own way. It doesn't demand its own way. You understand there's more people in the house than you. All we like sheep have gone astray. We're going our own way. It's time that we hurry home. It's time that we prioritize the marriage and the family. It's time that we come together again, not just in a house, but in a home. Somebody say amen to that. Hurry home. Hurry. Here's the second culture-busting principle. Cultivate communication. You say, well, pastor, how is this a culture-busting principle? I'm going to tell you how this is a culture-busting principle. The average married couple spends four minutes a day communicating. Did you just hear that statistic? And that's also here in the church. That the average couple today spends an average of four minutes a day in communication. And we wonder what's wrong with our marriages. We're spending 400 hours a day on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and four minutes a day in meaningful communication with our spouse. Something's not right about that. Now, I know that it can be a little bit unbalanced. Men, It's been proven that we speak about 15,000 words a day. We don't talk as much as women, for the most part. That we speak about 15,000 words a day. Women speak 30,000 words on the average a day. And and I I can remember when when Jamie and I, after we got married and we had taken our first church, we were pastoring and and all of a sudden we started having kids and I'm at the church all day, you know. I'm I'm talking to people all day long, so I'm using my 15,000 words. So when I get home, I'm empty. But she's been with the kids all day, so she's still got 30,000 words. And she wants to talk. She wants to communicate. How many of you guys understand what I'm talking about here this morning? How many of you ladies understand what I'm talking about today? Now, guys, listen. I'm going to give you four words that are going to help you today when it comes to communicating with your spouse. Four words. That can transform conversation with your wife. Transform your marriage. How many of you want those four words? Are are you ready? All right, here's those four words right here. And then what happened? (laughs) I I just added 10 years to somebody's marriage right there. (laughs) I learned that a long time ago. Just talk and talk and talk. And then what happened? Mm-hmm. And then what happened? Yeah. Oh, and then what happened? It totally transforms your communication. Listen to what the Bible said in Proverbs 18 and 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, here's what that passage of Scripture is saying. It's saying that if you're speaking death over your spouse, you're going to eat the fruit of that. 
But if you're speaking life over your spouse, you're going to eat the fruit of that. But it's also saying that if you're not talking to your spouse, you're going to eat the fruit of that. But if you are talking and communicating with your spouse, then you're going to eat the fruit of that. Your words have the power of life and death. James even said that the tongue has the power to destroy and to be destructive. But we've got to make sure that the words that we are speaking are are words that build up and words that speak life. Four minutes a day communicating and probably those four minutes are saying stuff we never should have said and having to apologize for later here's the third thing nourish romance I'm going to tell you something romance doesn't mean much to this culture anymore it's all about self-satisfaction that's why folks will just go on the internet Meet that physical need because they can do it apart from another person and leave intimacy out of the equation. Nourish romance. Listen to this passage of Scripture, Proverbs 5, 18 and 19. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. May you ever be captivated by her love. That that word captivated comes from a Hebrew word. And you know what the literal interpretation or translation of that word is or what the literal meaning is? Intoxicated. So read it again. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. That means go back and remember the passion and the energy and the love that you had for your spouse when you first got married. And then he goes on and say, may you ever be intoxicated by her love. Look at your spouse right now and just just look at him right smack dab in the eye and say I'm drunk on love (laughs) drunk on your love you know this is hey it's scriptural it's biblical did you know in the song of Solomon which is a very graphic book by the way for married couples because Solomon gets really really graphic in the Song of Solomon. But do you know what he does? He compares, in in Solomon, he compares your wife, men, he compares her to a deer, a doe. Now, now, we ought to be able to relate to this. We in Walker County, we know what it means to go deer hunting, don't we? (laughs) Now, guys, listen to me. When you go deer hunting, you're careful with your approach. (laughs) You know? It's well planned out. And so, guys, I would say this. When it comes time to nourish romance in your marriage, be careful with your approach. And to you ladies, I would say to you, just make an approach. (laughs) Rejoice. Man, I see some guys right now. I just got you. If you hadn't been with me to this point, you, you you just joined in. Let me just give you a couple of lists. I'm going to run through these real quick. Don't even try to write them down. We'll post them later on Facebook where you can go back and check them out. (laughs) Let me just give you real quick 10 romance killers and 15 romance builders. 10 romance killers, overcommitment and physical exhaustion. Anybody ever heard this before? I'm too tired. It's a killer. It's a romance killer. 
Here's another one. Debt and conflict over how money will be spent. Nothing, nothing can kill romance quicker than conflict over money. Selfishness can be a romance killer. Interference from in-laws. I'll just leave that right where it is and just keep moving on. Unrealistic expectations. Your wife looking at you saying, you expect me to look like that? And men looking at their wives saying, you expect me to do that? Who do you think I am? Unrealistic expectations. Alcohol or substance abuse can be romance killers. Pornography, gambling, and other addictive habits. Romance killers. The grass is greener syndrome. You do know that's a lie, don't you? This is another thing that our culture teaches, that the grass is greener on the other side. No, the grass is not greener on the other side. And if it is, let me tell you, the water bill's higher. It'll end up costing you more than you thought it was going to cost you. Hey, if you want green grass, water your own grass on your own side of the Turn me off on purpose. Come on, let's keep this going. Business success and business failure. But then here are also... Ten romance builders. Number one, love yourself first. I tell these young couples all the time, don't come into a relationship thinking that person's going to make you whole. You need to be whole and healed before you get into a marriage. Another one, start each day with a hug. How many of you did that this morning? I don't see any hands. Let's keep going. <laughs> Say I love you every time you part ways. These are just practical things. Romance builders, compliment freely and often. Slow down, guys. You're deer hunting. Slow down. Go on a date once every week. Here's another one. Kiss unexpectedly. Here's another one. Apologize sincerely. All right, you want me to apologize? I apologize. I don't think that works. Romance builders, be forgiving. Here's another one. Let her give you directions when you're lost. <laughs> and, and, and ladies, laugh at his jokes. These are, these are romance builders. Men, ask her to marry you all over again. Ladies, say yes. <laughs> Here's another. Never go to bed mad. You hear me? You may have to stay up three or four days. <laughs> Never go to bed mad. And always work it out. Always work it out. Which brings me to the next one. And I promise you I'm going to wrap up here in just a minute. Number four, culture buster. Celebrate differences. You say, well, how is this a culture buster? Because our culture says if you can't get along with one another... Just divorce. If you're not compatible, number one reason for divorce in America is incompatibility, irreconcilable differences. Do you know what compatible means? Anybody ever looked that up in the dictionary? The word compatible means to live with another person without problems or conflict. Who does that? Come on. Compatibility. Celebrate differences. Understand 
that God designed us that way. That God designed us to be different. God didn't need another Adam. That's why he created an Adam and an Eve. He needed somebody complete opposite of Adam. And then when they both came together, they became one. Listen, don't allow your differences to, to, to separate you. But understand that it's your differences that make you a great team. I would dare say that there's not a more incompatible couple in this room than me and Jamie. There isn't. We, we are polar opposites. Complete opposites. The only way where we do have compatibility or the only area that we have compatibility is we are spiritually compatible. And I would say this, and that's why the Bible says don't yoke yourself up with just anybody. Make sure you're yoking yourself up with a believer because spiritual compatibility is important. If you are spiritually compatible, I think everything else just kind of falls right into place. Celebrate your differences. Listen to what the scripture said. We've seen it. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Jamie and I love the same things. We just don't like the same things at the same time. We both love Italian, but as soon as I suggest Italian, she wants Mexican. I love Mexican. As soon as she says, let's do Mexican, I say, let's do Italian. If I'm hot, she's cold. I mean, we're just the polar opposites. If, she wants, if I want to go out, she wants to stay in. We're polar opposites. But we don't allow those differences to separate us. We understand that God designed us the way that we are because when the two become one, we then become the team that God put us together to become. I'm a people-oriented person. I love to be around people. I love to talk to people. I love to hang out with people. Jamie is a task-oriented person, and she will run over people to get the task done. And I'm like, honey, you got to slow down. These are people. These are folks that have been created in the image of God. And she's like, you just need to learn how to get something done, finish, get a task going and get it. Done. Don't worry about who it hurts. See, we're just, but when we come together, we're able to balance one another out. She gets the task done and I go behind her apologizing. <laughs> we're a team. We're a team. Am I right? We're a team. And here's, here's the fifth. Here's the fifth. Finish together. Let me tell you why this is a culture-busting principle. Because this culture doesn't give a flip about a vow before God that says, till death do us part. Now listen, I'm not trying to bring any kind of condemnation on anybody that has experienced divorce because it is a part of so many people's lives. And for the most part, it happened in an individual's life or in a family where they did everything they could to try to make things work. But for some reason or another, it just didn't happen. But when we stand and we share vows one with another. And I'll do that this afternoon with a wedding that I'll be doing this afternoon. When you say, till death do us part, listen to me, it means, this is what it means, till death 
do us part. That's what it means. It means I may kill you, but I ain't going to divorce you. Because one thing that Jamie and I did when we went into marriage, we took the option of divorce off the table. Because it's not fair, listen to me ladies and gentlemen, it's not fair for you to hang over your spouse's head that you'll leave or you'll divorce if they don't do a certain thing or say a certain thing. It's not fair. So you've got to take that option off the table. And let me, let me tell you what will happen when you do. You will have the greatest fights. You will. Jamie and I have great fights. We don't hit each other. Now, we have great makeup, too. I'm just going to tell you right now. But sometimes we fight just to make up. I mean, am I helping anybody this morning? Anybody at all? But let me, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you why you fight great. Because you know you can come to the table. Listen to me. You know you can come to the table and you can disagree with the security that if they don't agree with me, they're going to walk out the door. It gives you can fight with security. Now, that doesn't mean you can go in and say whatever you want to say and do whatever you want to do. No, that's not what it means. But it does mean that you can bring the hard issues to the table and you can discuss and you can argue. And yes, you can even get into a fight, not a fist fight. That's not what I'm talking about. But you can do it securely, knowing that they're not going to just get mad and walk out the door. You've got to take that option off the table. Malachi 2 and 16 says, Be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Look at what he does. He does violence to the one he should be protecting. Did you just hear that? That when you divorce your wife, you do violence to the one that you're supposed to be protecting, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Finish together this culture. Now, now here's what I'm challenging to. I'm challenging you to a new commitment. And let, let, me, let me just share with you what my definition of commitment is. It's being willing to be unhappy while we work it out. Isn't that good? Just being willing to be unhappy. Has anybody here ever had to be unhappy for a little while until you kind of got things worked out? Yeah, I see. I see some hands going up. I challenge you to make that new commitment today. And then here's the last culture-busting principle. The team's going to come and help me close this out. Trust God. Because I, I can just hear some of you right now saying, Pastor, you're asking, you're asking me to do some things that I cannot do. And you know what? I know that. That's why you got to trust God. That's why you need God's power. That's why you need God's grace. Ancient family. Let's untwist what culture has twisted by doing things God's way. Because the psalmist said it like this, unless the Lord build the house, its builders labor in vain. Who's building your house? Who's building your life? Who's building your marriage? Who's building your family? Because if you're trying to do it the world's way, when the storms come, you're not going to survive. 
But when you, like the wise man, hear the Word of God and do what the Word of God says, it's like you're building on a rock. And the storms may come, but you will be able to endure every storm. Would you stand with me today? I'm going to ask every married couple in the room to come join me here at the front. And it's not that I'm trying to leave anybody out. I just feel that I need to pray over the married folk today. Even if your spouse is not with you, you're still free to come. Chains fall, fear bows here now. Jesus, you change everything. Lives healed, whole found here now. Jesus, you change everything. Chains fall, fear come here now. Jesus, you change everything and lives healed, hope found here now. Jesus, you change everything. we need in our marriages surrender we fall down yes Lord show us your glory show us your glory let every burning heart be holy parents or those of you here this morning who are married the best thing you can do for your kids the best thing that you can do for your kids is love each other and let your kids know that you love each other nothing wrong with that nothing wrong with your kids seeing you be affectionate with one another and there's nothing wrong with your kids knowing listen I love you son I love you daughter but the most important person on this earth to me is your mama or your daddy. And they're my priority. That doesn't mean I'm going to neglect you. That's not, that doesn't mean that your needs are not going to be met. It's, it just means that relationship comes first next to God. Because your kids need to see that. They need to know how important that relationship is. Because one day your kids are going to be married. I know some of you don't like to think about it. Philip, you don't like to think about that right now. But one day it's going to happen. And you want them to be able to go in to that marriage knowing what a godly marriage looks like. And how a godly 
marriage functions. Now here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Hun, if you'll come up here with me. If you're near your spouse, if you're not, horn players, if y'all need to come get with your spouse, come on down. Because I'm going to ask you to do something here. Some of you may not have ever done. Maybe you just assume. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to look at your spouse. Husbands to your wife, wife to your husband. Here's what I want you to ask them. If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? I want you to ask them that question. If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? And listen, husband, if your wife was not able to say yes, wife, if your husband was not able to say yes, what I want you to do right now is I want you to ask them. Because really, this is your responsibility to ask them, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today so that our marriage, are you ready? And this is not just for those that may have a spouse that was not able to answer in the affirmative there. But I also want you to make sure that when you look at that spouse that you say to them, are we ready to make Jesus the ringmaster, the Lord of our marriage? That we're going to do it His way. Not the world's way, not what culture says, but we're going to do it God's way. So if they were not able to answer the affirmative, first of all, I want you to pray with them to receive Jesus. And then if both of you answered in the affirmative, I want you to look at one another. And I just want you to reassure, husbands, I want you to reassure your wives that Jesus is the Lord of this marriage. And we're going to do it His way or we're going to continue to do it His way. Would you do that right now? Submit to the Lordship of Jesus. Do it His way. Yes, do it His way. We're going to love the way He said love. We're going to communicate the way that He said communicate. We're going to connect the way He said communicate. We're going to prioritize the way He said to prioritize. We're going to make sure that He's first. And that we always bow to His will and to His ways. Father, in the name of Jesus. I know what culture is trying to do to this institution you created, God, called marriage. They're trying to twist it. But Lord, today at this crossroads, we look back over the ancient paths and we're going to take Your way. We're going to do what Your Word commands us to do. First and foremost, individually, Lord, we submit our lives to You as husbands, as wives. And we say, yes, Lord, we are ready that if we were to die tonight or if you were to come back today that we're ready to go to heaven because that's the most important thing but other than that Lord we're also saying that you are the Lord of my life and you are the Lord of my marriage and you are the Lord of my family that we are going to do things your way according to what the principles of your word command us to do because Lord when we do it your way it leads to life and fulfillment and satisfaction and joy and so Lord I pray over every one of these married couples here today that God if their marriage somehow has not been a priority if the kids or if the job Lord or if hobbies whatever it is has 
moved ahead of their relationship with their spouse on their priority list that today God they will go home and they will get things back in order in Jesus name and father I pray that you will give the grace and the power to every one of us to do what your word commands us to do because we cannot do it in and of ourselves and on our own so father give us that grace give us that power and Lord we need your wisdom and we need your guidance and we need your direction I pray God for every couple up here this morning that you will give them a hunger and that you will give them a thirst for your word Lord to hide themselves in your word and to discover what you long for in their marriage and in a relationship with them father bless every married couple in jesus name and everybody said amen and amen well i hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message we here at summerton church of god believe that god is a god who still does miracles and we're seeing it on a weekly basis people's lives being transformed by the power of god being saved healed and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience it for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.